I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so thrilled to have my next awesome, awesome guest here. Uh, We have Nusheen Hashimi, who is the founder and CEO of January AI. We were just chatting a little bit. She lives... uh, in in Silicon Valley and with her family. And she is the, as I mentioned, the co-founder and CEO of January AI, which is a health tech company that uses AI to work to prevent, predict, and postpone chronic diseases like things like diabetes. And of course, that is one of those diseases that with the company I founded, Hint, we're always like looking at ways to actually prevent things versus actually looking at ways to deal with them once you have them. So I love, love, love everything about this when uh, Nusheen's name came across my screen and a little bit more about her company. I was just really fascinated. So I'm excited to have her here to share a little bit more about that. Like so many other fabulous entrepreneurs that we have on the show and CEOs, she did not start out as an entrepreneur. She actually spent years in tech with companies like Oracle, and uh, she's also done quite a bit of angel investing and philanthropy um, before she actually decided to start her own company. And I'd love to hear a lot more about how the AI piece comes into this, because of course, we all want to really understand how that starts to move companies and and change along the way, and she's definitely done it. So she was also honored by the World Economic Forum as a technology pioneer uh, a bit ago, and that's just added to the list of many of her numerous awards. So thank you so much for Nusheen for coming on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with January AI, can you share a little bit more about the company and its mission? Absolutely. Our mission is to eradicate lifestyle diseases like diabetes and related diseases that are really are um, not rooted necessarily in genetics, um, but they are really um, artifacts of the way we live every day, how we eat, how we move um, or, or don't move. Um, and so we feel that we have the technology today to already make a huge dent um, in uh, lifestyle diseases. And if we were, we had the will to um, really expand the use of this technology to the population. But as well, there are other levers of of change that we could we could make. I have a big I have a big um, passion around what the government can do in terms of government policies that affect health in America, um, not just what technology can do, not just what people can do, but also, um, you know, what, what all the effect se- sectors of society can do, government, private sector, um, individuals, how they run uh, their lifestyles. Um, I think the answer of having a healthy nation is within all of those. There's really no silver bullet, but 
the individual and the person can take a huge role. And there are definitely technology tools that can help people to do that. So your co-founder is Dr. Michael Schneider. How did you two connect on this? <laughs> so I, um, as I got interested in um, health and essentially healthcare and machine learning and what machine learning could do for health, um, I started asking around to meet people. And I was meeting with um, the head of the Stanford School of Medicine, Lloyd Minor, And I said, I'm really interested in multiomics and just whole person view of, of health. And Mike and I set up a meeting for 45 minutes and we ended up talking for 90 minutes. And the next time, the very next time we met, which was pretty quickly, he said, let's just let, you know, I've been thinking about this. You know, I want you to be my co-founder. Let's start this company. I'd already started the company. I'd named it January already. I wanted to do the multi-owned company. So it turned out that he just rolled into the company and we went ahead with the, with the company that we had. So I met him through Stanford, Stanford Connections. I went to Stanford Business School and I've um, remained close to the, to the university in the last um, 25 years. And I'm a, I'm a big, fan of, um, big fan of entrepreneurship and discovery, which is really a key tenet of Stanford University. Really, I mean, to go to Stanford Business School, is, it's really big on entrepreneurship, as you know. It's, it's what it's known for. So you pass through those walls. At some point, you got to start something. <laughs> So I'm pretty committed. I love it. That's great. You know, what you described, I remember years ago uh, when I moved to Silicon Valley, I came from New York and I, I think what really drove me, everybody talked about Silicon Valley as entrepreneurship. This is in the mid nineties. I mean, it was really kind of the beginnings of direct to consumer and some of the stuff that was going on that I ended up getting involved in. But I loved the idea that people were so open to connecting people. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these ideas were not fleshed out. It was just people kind of being put into a room together and mm -hmm. coming up with different ideas, which again, is, is something that sometimes that's where entrepreneurship and ideas really start, right? Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now. Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. The beauty of Silicon Valley, at least prior to COVID, now it seems like it's happening in a lot more places than just Silicon Valley. But the, the beauty of within, you know, 50 square miles to be able to, you know, start ideas, hash them out, hire people, build the company, sell the company, you know, raise money for the company, <laughs> grow the company, sell the company. Um, and just just hub of of people and um, of interests and just having that ecosystem that's been um, lauded over the all over the world and now there are hubs you know everywhere and, and there's lots of Silicon Valleys outside of Silicon Valley which is which is really nice. That's I think COVID remote kind of made things you know not be so con- concentrated as you know. I totally totally agree. So let's go back to the start. So you immigrated from mm-hmm. from Persia, uh, mm-hmm. which was before Iran uh, as a yes. teen. Uh, so talk to me about those early years. I mean, when you came here, what what do you think? How do you think it benefited you in in many ways? Obviously, you and I were talking. I have many friends who also mm-hmm. immigrated from Persia, and it's. Uh, it's fascinating to me because so many, many of them are women and they are so 
proud of their heritage, but also very smart. I mean, and very, and obviously you are as well, and you're a hard worker and all of those things. What what do you think, uh, you know, kind of you learned about those early years and that what helped you to become an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was a fifth child of, of a family who had much older children. So I was an accident. My first uh, sister and I are 17 years apart. Um, so 17, 13, 10, and eight years. So four siblings, way, way older. So I was basically at home as, as an only child. Everybody had left. And my parents saw the writing on the wall in 1977, tanks on the street, and quickly got me a passport and sent me away two years before the revolution happened. And thank God that they did that. I was 14 years old. If they had not done that, if I had gotten stuck there um, when the revolution happened and had gone, you know, I would not have had the incredible education that I've had, but also just the incredible opportunity. So what was it like? Well, it's a 14 year old coming to the US. Um, I had my, my brother was living here with his wife and my sister with her husband. And, you know, they had their own lives and I, um, it made me unbelievably independent. I had to, um, you know, figure out eventually, like even my living quarters, like I skipped two grades in high school. I graduated from high school at age 16 uh, from Gunn High School. It was, it was a time of change. It was like in 19, I graduated from high school in 1979, which is where the, when the hostage crisis happened. So my dreams of going to Georgetown University and getting a PhD in international relations and becoming the ambassador uh, just, yeah, just went down the drain. Um, turned out my daughter went to Georgetown later, didn't, um, but that's just life comes all full, full circle. But yeah, so my, um, what I'd imagined, you know, okay, I'm going to the U S I'll be back, you know, and then the revolution happened. And of course I didn't go back. And so I wouldn't lie to you. It was, uh, it was growing up really fast. So it was not going, not being able to go to a four-year university first. I had to go to a community college first because my, my, I didn't even know what like SATs were or any of this was. And my, my brother who was kind of responsible for me didn't really, wasn't really managing all this either. So I was just haphazardly learning like, oh, so you want me to go to a community college? He said, yes, you should go to, I was like, okay. So as soon as I figured things out, I put myself to Stanford, you know, um, but, but I didn't know as a 16-year-old graduating from Gunn High School <laughs> that people were taking the SATs and going to four-year colleges. I didn't understand any of that. So so it was a lot of hard lessons, a lot of things to learn. Fortunately, I mean, I did go to Foothill College. I had straight A's for two years. I didn't get a single B and, um, you know, went off and finished my degree in, in economics and political science and then started working at Oracle. Um, worked for another company for like eight months and then sent my resume to like 60 companies and, and Oracle called and I went and started working there and I ended up being there for 10 years and uh, grew very, 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 very rapidly. I mean, I started at the, you know, pretty much as an entry level person and I was um, very quickly went to a manager and a director and a vice president um, in, a, in, in a valley where it just, it just didn't have women as VPs. Um, in a matter of five years, people have told me I should write about it. I should write about those days. I should write about what it was like, how hard it was. Um, one of my friends, Tim Haley, who had a recruiting firm at the time and has been a VC for decades now says, you know, you should write about those early days in Silicon Valley and what, what it was like to be a woman, um, woman executive in their twenties, uh, you know, which was just unheard of. 
uh, really unheard of. I think there was another uh, woman, I'm forgetting her name, uh, who was at Apple, who was like in her 50s. Yeah. Um, but it was just unheard of to have somebody in their 20s be a vice president um, at 27 at Oracle, a billion dollar company. And it wasn't easy, I'll tell you. So those years from when I left Iran uh, in 1977, um, at age 14 to, you know, the next 13 years, uh, when I became vice president at Oracle, age 27, those were those were tough years, but they were amazing, amazing learnings. I mean, literally just unbelievable uh, learnings at every turn. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that too, because I I speak on a, a number of uh, university campuses and, and business schools as well. And I had started out in larger companies that became larger while I was there, um, both in media and in, and in tech. And, you know, I think the interesting thing is, is that a lot of those years helped me to figure out what I wanted in a company, mm-hmm. um, how to grow a culture, how to lead, all of those things. So I wouldn't say any of them were a waste of time. I no, didn't, not at all. Right? And oh, I'm no, sure, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah. And I'm sure Oracle as well. I mean, it's such an amazing, amazing. place to be. And, and when I see people who are graduating from college and thinking that they want to go and start a company and they want to, I mean, there, there are lots of things that maybe you miss that watching inside of a large company first and a great training program, whatever it is, um, that definitely gave you, I think, a, a leg up in starting Oh, absolutely. Own. Yes. I mean, I, I, when I walked in, I was 22. Um, I think Oracle of 1985 to 1992 was an unbelievable place. It, it, um, it really was, I mean, fast growth is really interesting when you're doubling in size in every year and the opportunities that, that that affords you when you're growing, if you're an ambitious and driven and hardworking person is infinite. Yeah. So you're constantly pushing yourself and wondering how much more you can push yourself. And, and you are in company of other people who are also very serious about their careers and they're ambitious and they're, you have something to do. You're all in it. It's, it. it's like the feeling of euphoria is like you with a lot of other people are doing something quite impossible is really interesting. And it's bonded us, you know, forever. I, I'll see Larry Olson next week. Um, and, you know, so when you've been in the trenches together, it sort of bonds you forever. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, so I do. Um, I mean, we didn't have a we didn't have a training program. We were just learning just off the. I know, like my daughter's in the APMM program at Google right now. Yeah, those are those are luxuries. At the time, it was like just go do it, go do this, go do that, go do the next thing. And um, I wouldn't change it for anything. The education that came from those from those years was was it's irreplaceable. You can't get it in any business school. Hear that sound? That's music to my ears. That sound means there's been another sale on Shopify, this episode's sponsor. If 1.7 million businesses use Shopify, then it has to be good, right? If you aren't already using Shopify, let me tell you why you should be using it to start, run, and grow your business. This all-in-one commerce platform is more than just a store platform. It's a way to connect with customers, drive sales, and manage the day-to-day. Shopify is the number one choice when it comes to e-commerce. Anyone I know who owns an online store is using Shopify. 
everything you need to help your online store succeed, including detailed business reports, the ability to reach customers online across every major platform network too, and so much more. It's time to discover what's possible with Shopify now. Go to shopify.com slash Kara for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. That's shopify.com slash Kara. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Kara right now. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. These days, we have the ability to work from anywhere. While I like the flexibility remote work provides, having a management software that handles payroll, benefits, and all the things I need to know to make me feel at ease as a business owner is so key. Here's where Gusto comes into play. Gusto makes it all happen. Gusto's all-in-one HR platform is a game changer for growing businesses. From full-service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your employees and your business no matter where you're working from. Being organized is the key to every successful business. Gusto provides insights to inform decisions around workforce costing, competitive compensation, and employee engagement. So all those tough decisions you need to make every day just got a whole lot easier. The best part? Listeners of The Kara Golden Show get three months of Gusto for free. Go to gusto.com slash Kara. That's right. If you're ready to experience a new bar for HR, get three months free at gusto.com slash Kara. So you left Oracle. You've Mm -hmm. started uh, some philanthropies, uh, as well as as definitely done some angel investing, mm-hmm. too. So what year did January AI actually officially start then? I officially started in 2017, but we hired our first technical person in November of 2017. So really, 2018 was our first kind of year of operating. But I, I you know, I filed the papers in, in 2017. What was the first kind of challenge that you thought about <laughs> when you were when you were actually setting out to to start January oh my AI, God. like yeah. what was there a, I mean, was diabetes yes. or what was kind of the big thing that you guys wanted to tackle first? My vision when I, when I was meeting with Mike Snyder was, hey, we're taking a very narrow picture of health. We're looking at someone's A1C or cholesterol, whatnot. And we need to take your approach, which is this multiomic approach. We should look at all the factors that go into health. Like, all the things we can learn from uh, people wearing sensors, like wearables, like, you know, fitness tracker mm-hmm. um, or heart rate monitor, uh, continuous glucose monitor, we thought was an inflection point in wearables because it was now uh, being used for health monitoring as opposed to just fitness monitoring. Um, so, yes, we were very excited about usage of new technologies, specifically wearables and what they could tell us about um, chronic conditions like diabetes. Mike Snyder has type 2 diabetes. And um, his actually is not a lifestyle disease. He has this, he had this genetic predisposition to type 2 diabetes. He has a very rare genetic case where after a viral infection, diabetes um, uh, developed in his, in his body. So when we first started, I would say the hardest thing was, was finding a technical co- you know, co-founder or a technical, um, technical lead for the company. That was really hard. Starting um, on your own, not being a technical person, trying to find that technical person is really challenging. Uh, so you're competing with, you know, Fang, obviously for talent. You, when it comes to AI, a lot of people I interviewed early said, 
hey, I don't really care what I work on. Um, people were working on autonomous cars and fintech and robotics and, you know, ad tech. Uh, and they weren't, you know, health and AI is not something people thought about um, sure. four years ago. It just wasn't. In 2017, people just didn't think about that in 20, when I was searching for that technical person. So, so, uh, so that was challenging. And then we weren't just doing AI. You're doing a combination. You really are living at the convergence of, of medicine and science, which is in the labs before it becomes medicine and AI. So this interdisciplinary um, lens is just something that people don't have. It's something that is going to, it's still evolving and it's going to evolve over the next couple of decades. So A, I, I had to find a technical person to execute my vision and what I had in mind. Two, this, these people needed to be AI people. And I had huge competition for uh, for hiring AI people. And three, I needed people that just understood more than AI. They were, they were curious about science. They were curious about medicine. They were curious about the human body. And much of what had been done in sort of quote unquote data science and big data at that time, uh, which is not AI, was really about like claims data and like like patient stratification for payers and things like that. There was nothing about personal science, like like the AI of your body, like what's happening with your body? What 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 trends can I observe about the the human body as opposed to like your insurance claims? So it was like it was it was pioneering on every angle. And it was so it was hard to even describe to people who had never, you know, a lot of a lot of the people you would interview, um, these technical leads were like, huh? You know, like you're like, well, you know, there are all these like these, this medical research has been done, it has got these missing variables and we could go back and look at it. And so you're, you're like talking about a new world that doesn't exist yet and you're trying to recruit for it. And that's one of the, that, that was definitely one of the challenges. So fortunately, the best thing in our favor was that we are working on a mission um, that is, you know, half of the adult U.S. population had diabetes or prediabetes and now the numbers have grown. So when I started, uh, there were, you know, 30 million people with diabetes and something like um, 80 million people with prediabetes. Now we're looking at 96 million people with diabetes and uh, prediabetes and 37 million people with diabetes just in a few years. So people knew this was, this was serious. It was a big problem. It's a problem that has remains unsolved. Um, so the mission was um, very attractive to people. And that's one of the things. So, so people who were on some kind of a health journey, maybe a cancer survivor, maybe someone or with diabetes, um, uh, those people took interest in the company. And those were the early, early employees, people who had a reason to care about prevention. They had a reason to, to you know, they believed, they, they had sort of been, given their odds way too late or, you know, in cases where they couldn't do anything about it. So they were really interested in and in sparing other people of that suffering. Absolutely. That's, I mean, you describing January AI is uh, how I describe Hint in the early days. I mean, the exact same thing. We, people said, have asked me over the years, did you have a hard time recruiting? I'm like, look, I didn't have any experience in the beverage industry. People were crazy to trust me, right? To show up. I mean, this did not look like it was going to become the company that it is today. But the mission and the purpose and the reason for us actually trying was what drove people. So a number of our 
investors, a number of our employees all came from or had invested in or had worked at other companies that were not in the beverage industry, but they looked at it with a, we've got to figure this stuff out. This is really fascinating. This is really interesting. So it's Mm -hmm. very similar to uh, what you're talking about. I love it. What's been the biggest surprise in building the company? The biggest good surprise, which is, um, was what happened with COVID. So it's the silver lining of COVID. So we did not, when I started, I just expected it to be way, 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 way harder still. Um, I thought as hard as it was, um, when I would tell people like my husband, who's co-investor with me in the family office, and together we've invested in over 130 companies. When I started talking about machine learning and healthcare, he thought I was crazy. He said, I've been through this already. I've invested in healthcare companies. You're being way too idealistic. You know, only if we collect this data, only if we do this and that. We did that. We did that in this company. We did this in this company. It turned out that, yes, it makes so much sense. In one of his companies, they had connected all the EHR data to each other, but then that's not really how they were able to help people. Finally, they were able to make money by essentially helping providers be able to get more reimbursements from payers, you know, something that wasn't as idealistic as they had first started, which was like to help people be healthier. Uh, so he was like, you know, you're, you're just, are you sure this is, this is kind of crazy. And I was absolutely, absolutely under, you know, just, you could not deter me from, from this path. You still can't. So the surprise is that, you know, I thought it was going to take way longer, way, it's going to be much harder. Cause when you talked about uh, people taking control of their health and people caring about their health, learning about their health, and uh, you immediately got this thing like, no, People will not do that. People know that certain behavior, people know that smoking is bad. They still smoke. Yes, but lots of people have stopped smoking. Yes, there are some people that will continue to do that. But they will immediately tell you that um, that's not going to work, that people will not change. Their behavior will not change. They will not, they will not take their health, um, that they care more about their cars than their bodies. And I mean, that all this comes. But what happened with COVID is that people learned on a very personal level that, you know, um, what could happen if you have underlying conditions that you don't know about something like 40% of the people who died had underlying conditions, including diabetes. So it was a matter of life and death. People all of a sudden were jolted. This pandemic kind of caused people to go, Oh my God, like health is important. Health is not something I take for granted health. If I, if I'm not healthy, I could actually die of the next pandemic. And it became much, much more vivid in their minds, the impact that health would have. So it was a horrific thing that was, you know, that came, came upon our planet. But the silver lining of this is now people recognizing that they do have a role to play, that their health is important, that health is wealth. Um, so a lot of people that I thought, you know, it was just optimizers that cared about a lot of things. I'm hearing from people, I was just talking to a few, several friends who, are not really involved in technology. They're not really involved. They're, you know, they're retired um, or they're, you know, they've been home. They've just been um, like, they've never really even worked. Yeah. And they're telling me about insulin resistance. They're telling me about symbiotics. They're telling me about their microbiome. They're telling me, I mean, it is becoming now very, um, and I don't mean just here. I think people are recognizing that, oh, you know, what I do every day counts. If I sit all day counts, the supplements I take count, these things count. So the biggest surprise is that, um, people are, uh, onboarding to this health journey 
at a faster rate than I could have ever expected. I, I totally agree. We've had a few people on here that are sort of fighting uh, these issues as well. And uh, Dr. Lustig, have you ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, definitely he's he's uh, been if I've been a fan of his for for a long time and uh, really, really amazing what you're what you're doing. So I normally ask this question about a major challenge, but I feel like you've answered so many of these kind of in, you know, as, in answering some of the other uh, questions, but uh, what, what would you want to leave people with around just, I think what you've, you're doing is great. And it doesn't, even though you're saying it's happened faster than, than maybe you had hoped, I, I feel like things do take a long time, right? Oh, that, they do. Overnight success takes 15 years. That's one of the things that entrepreneurs should know. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. And um, and I just think that your experiences overall, um, you know, are really coming from a place of doing good, which... which absolutely, yeah. When people... Somebody was asking me this question yesterday and for, a, for an article that they said, is it, is it incredibly hard to grow businesses today because it's in COVID? And I said that the first thing that you have to do is stop thinking about why you can't and figure out why mm-hmm. you can and what problem you're solving. And January mm-hmm. AI is definitely solving a, a big, big problem. And it's going to take time because hard problems take time to fix. Absolutely. Yes. For these problems to be solved, we need a variety, you know, we need many things. We need, you know, there's technology. Um, there is, you know, as I mentioned at the at the onset, there's um, the role of government, the role of private sector, role of the individual. There's there's lots of lots of pieces to the puzzle if we really want to have a healthier nation. But in terms of entrepreneurs, I think um, you know my advice would be if people are thinking of starting a company, um, definitely try to have uh, co-founders that can take operating roles, meaning people that can roll up their sleeves and be in the trenches with you. Um, I think Oracle had five co-founders, even though, you know, everyone knows Larry, but in the beginning, it's really useful for different people to wear different hats. So I think that's really important. Um, doing it by yourself is, you know, sole founders, do they make it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do, but I think it's, but I think it is, it is nice to have co-founders. I think that's really important. Um, the other thing is to, you know, have an early focus on product. I think it's really important to have that product orientation. People come at it from different angles and, you know, we came at it from science uh, and then product, you know, and, and some people come at it from marketing first and then they, they market first and then they start thinking about how they want to change their product. But, um, but I'd say market orientation is really, really important. And I think having, you know, owners, um, not just renters is really important. And I, I think that's going to be tough in this world now because, You've seen the great reshuffle. You've seen the great resignation. I think a lot of people are are want to have control over their time. They want to have control over their lives. So sometimes they rather uh, be contractors and have like side gigs and things like that, as opposed to put everything into one company. So, uh, you know, getting a number of people to move in the same direction, a cohesive way, when people have so many interests, it's hard. Um, it's hard. Yeah, definitely. But I think having a mission and a purpose, though. Uh, totally. You know, you just have to find those people that really believe and want to create change, and and you are definitely doing that. So, thank you so much for sharing 
all about you, January AI and overall your your journey. Uh, it's so incredible and it's it's so inspirational. So many gems in there too. Where can listeners find out more about January AI and also um, you? Oh, thank you. I'm on LinkedIn. People can connect with me, Nushin Hashemi on LinkedIn. Also, January AI, um, we are making a lot of um, changes to our product and we're doing a lot of user research, which is really, really fun. I talk to customers myself a lot um, and I really enjoy that. And so, yes, watch what we're doing. We have some interesting new things to, to um, to bring out in 2022. That's amazing. So thanks everybody for listening to this episode and please subscribe to the Kara Golden Show so you do not miss amazing conversations that I have with people like Machine. And please be sure to send in those five-star ratings for the algorithm. They definitely make a difference. And find me on all social platforms at Kara Golden. I also wrote a book. I would highly encourage Nasheen to write that book. It took me four years. Uh, Never would have started if I would have known how long it would have taken, but it was was definitely a lot of fun to, to write it. And it's called Undaunted for those who haven't uh, read it. You, it's also available on Audible. And we're here every Monday and Wednesday. So thanks everybody for listening and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Golden.